Today on the podcast, we're going to be covering Romans chapter 2, verses 10 through the end of chapter 2. Welcome to the Youth Apologetics Training Podcast. Friends, welcome back. Uh, this is Michael Bohm. Yeah, it's been a long time. Lots of things have been going on lately. Um, I, I know I haven't put out a podcast. Oh my goodness, it's been a while. Uh, and I apologize about that. I'm still out there. <laughs> and this podcast is still alive. Uh, it's just been terribly busy. Uh, since the last podcast, so many things have happened. As of yesterday, um, that would be March 18th of 2018, uh, I was ordained as a pastor, uh, not the pastor of our church, but a pastor of our church, uh, Calvary Chapel. <laughs> I've been cranking out a lot of uh, Sunday teachings there at the church. I'm several behind putting these online for you guys to listen to. And, you know, I haven't received any complaints as of yet. In fact, I've had a lot of people giving me positive feedback about these, but I just got to think that a lot of, there's a lot of you out there that want to hear me get back to <laughs> what I love. And that's the world of uh, apologetics and worldviews. So um, I really want to get back to that. In fact, on that note, I have kind of a neat surprise for you. Uh, somebody who's been a guest on this podcast several times, a really good friend of mine straight out of Roundup, Montana. Yes, Pastor Jason Oaks cranked out his uh, first book. You guys can find this on Amazon. Uh, it's called Sharing Jesus with the Cults. Uh, it is probably the size of half of a phone book. It's got all kinds of good content in there. Uh, it's, uh, guys, I can't, I'm, I'm going to be having Jason on to interview him about this book. It's awesome. I'm really excited about it. There is uh, even a comment, a, a review of the book on the back of the book by some guy named Michael Bohm. I I don't know. I never heard of him, but um, <laughs> this this book is awesome. I can't wait to talk to Jason about it. Uh, I'm hoping to do two separate podcasts on it because I think there's um, a lot of fun stuff to talk about here, a lot of fun doors to open. One third of the book is getting into many different uh, cult belief systems and just briefly going in, here's what they believe. Here's uh, their common terms and, and words, phrases that they use in their cult and what it actually means. Uh, and then the last two thirds of the book, okay, so a good chunk of the book is devoted to tactics, how you can actually share your faith with the cults. So <laughs> sorry about this commercial, but I'm really excited about it. Uh, anyway, so uh, yeah. I guess another thing that's interesting that's changed, uh, I have, uh, I am now podcasting out of my new office in the basement. Uh, all these years I've been podcasting, of course, <laughs> if you guys have been with me since the beginning, it started with the Carfus, 
That is the car office. I would go out to the car with my BlackBerry phone, with the uh, stock earphones that came with the phone and record podcasts. Then I moved into a room in the basement. Uh, It was an unfinished base room. It was all ghetto. If you guys could actually see what it looked like, um, you'd probably have less respect for me. (laughs) It was more of a storage room than than a studio. But now... Uh, You guys can probably tell there's no echo. I am now podcasting out of a really nice carpeted office. Three of the walls, guys, three of the walls are floor-to-ceiling bookcases, okay? This here is a book nerd's dream come true, and I have it. It is mine. Uh, In fact, uh, one of the guests that has been on my podcast a few times Uh, David Harrison actually helped me build this basement because he lives locally and uh, he does a little bit of uh, uh, side jobs. And so anyway, uh, I don't know. I just thought you guys would like to know that. It's, uh, it's, It's pretty exciting. I'm sitting here in this really nice office surrounded with bookcases and millions of books. Uh, Really exciting time. Anyway, so We are going to jump into this Sunday sermon. Guys, I do apologize that I have not been cranking these out. I, oh, I, I, I am right now torn between many different worlds and something has to go. And, uh, guys, I don't want it to be this. Uh, I need to start readjusting my life's focus to, uh, include and, and be primarily full-time ministry. So <clears throat> many of you know that I started a uh, side business. Uh, you know that I'm already a business owner. Uh, well, I started a side business and the side business um, selling things online uh, that are in the world of security systems is working very, very well for me and uh, is uh, potentially opening up some exciting doors here where I can uh, change gears. Okay, enough said about that. Pray for me. Uh, I I need your prayers because how exactly I'm going to pull that off, I really don't know. So um, pray for me, guys. And with that, let's go ahead and hear from yours truly, Michael Bohm, on a Sunday at a Calvary Chapel in Berthoud, Colorado. Yourselves. And then he moves on to the Jews. And he and today we're going to be talking about that. He starts looking at the Jews. You know, these are people who uh, believe many at the time actually had almost an ethnic uh, uh, salvation view that if you are a Jew, you're you're probably good in the eyes of God. You, you're probably all right uh, that you're saved. And so he addresses the Jews there and says, "Listen, you guys aren't even following your own laws. You're not even doing what the Mosaic law requires of you." And that's what we're going to be looking at today. As we continue on into chapter 3, though, we start seeing the good news. You know, he's got to get the bad news out first. There's no one good. No, not one. Nobody can save themselves. And then he gets into the good news of justification. Again, justification. What does that mean? Yeah, basically, yes. Justified, never sinned before. That's kind of an oversimplified version of it. At the moment you trust in Christ, in that moment when you recognize you're a sinner and you can't save yourself and you're trusting in what Christ did on the cross for you, you are justified. You die a second later, you're going to heaven. But now you've started a process, a process where God cleans up your life. What is that process called? Anybody? 
Sanctification, nice, good. Don't get those two mixed up. When you get them mixed up, that's where cults come from. When you're trying to work out your salvation to be saved, you're getting the cart before the horse. We do good works and we avoid bad things not to save us. It's because we're already saved. It's because we're trusting in Christ and he has given us his Holy Spirit and God is now working in our lives to cleanse us, to clean us up and make us better ambassadors for him, right? So, uh, last time we ended with uh, the situation where, uh, again, Paul is addressing the Jews and talking about the situation of uh, their sin and trying to keep the law. And we ended with this passage. I'm going to read it again just for context so we can move into the next verse. Uh, starting in verse 6, chapter 2, it says, Who will render to each one according to his deeds, speaking of God, eternal life to those who by patient continuance in doing good seek for glory, honor, and immortality? But to those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, indignation, and wrath, tribulation and anguish on every soul of man who does evil of the Jew first and also of the Greek. But glory and honor and peace to everyone who works what is good to the Jew first and also for the Greek. It almost sounds like he's preaching a gospel here that says, no, you really do have to do good works, right? But as we saw last week, and as we're going to see here in a couple, uh, three more weeks when I get into Romans chapter 3, he's moving through an argument here showing that the Jews don't even keep their own Mosaic law. Okay? Um, in fact, in chapter 3, he says, no one is good. No, not one. All fall short of the glory of God. And then he moves to this verse here in verse 11. That's what, where we're actually going to start here today. He says, for there is no partiality with God. Now, back when I was a little guy, probably around the age of somewhere between 8 to 10, I think my parents could tell me better, but uh, my brother Kirk and I were really into WWF. You guys remember this? Okay, you know, the off the top ropes with the elbow drop, the clotheslines, the pile drivers. It was all real. It was real wrestling, right? You know, you knew it was real because when they punched, they had to stomp their feet but, uh, <laughs> to make the sound. But... Uh, one year, my dad bought me tickets, me and my brother, to go to Denver and see uh, these guys like uh, Andre the Giant and Coco Beware and Hacksaw Jim Duggan and, you know, all these wild, crazy characters that they had. I don't even know what they call the wrestling nowadays, but um, we went there, and uh, it was a good time, but I was there not to see the Macho Man or Andre the Giant or the Ultimate Warrior. I really like him. It was... Elizabeth, uh, Macho Man Randy Savage's girlfriend. Now, this was not, you know, this is a sexual thing. I just, I was like puppy love. I was infatuated with Elizabeth. I thought she was the stuff, okay? <laughs> and I wasn't down there to slap the hands of any of the wrestlers coming through, you know, when they're running out and making a big scene. No, I was there to slap Elizabeth's hand, and I did. I actually got the, this hand right here. I haven't washed it since. I don't, <laughs> No, but, you know, yeah, and if I was, I don't even know if I'd recognize her nowadays, if I was to pass her on the street. If I did recognize her, though, I think my wife would probably drop kick her and give her an elbow drop, but, you know, but uh, that's how we are. You know, we show partiality, whether it's because somebody looks good, maybe they're smart, maybe they hold a position of power or wealth, you know, maybe 
Uh, you know, all these different things that we do to show people partiality. That's what we do. Uh, God doesn't do that. He shows no partiality. In fact, in the, in the King James Version, it says a little bit different. It says, he's not a respecter of persons. Now, at this time, like I mentioned, there was kind of a mentality that if you're a Jew, well, you're, you're probably saved. You're good. You're one of God's people. You're, you're a favored position at this point before God. In fact, it was taught by many rabbis that the Gentiles would be judged one, with one measure, and then the Jews would be judged with a completely different measure. Uh, in fact, some ancient rabbis would even teach that um, uh, Abraham would sit at the gates of hell and that he would make sure that none of his uncircumcised uh, descendants would enter into hell. And so um, Paul here, he's, he's dealing with this situation. And as we go on today, you're going to see that he continues to come back and deal with the situation where, you know, they believed that because of their situation, they were, they were saved just because they were a Jew. And, you know, that's not too much different today. I mean, there's lots of churches out there that, uh, I, maybe I shouldn't say churches, movements out there that feel like you have to be one of them to be saved, right? Roman Catholicism uh, traditionally taught that if you're not a Roman Catholic, you're not going to be saved, Okay. That actually has shifted quite a bit. The last couple of popes have completely gone to the other end of the spectrum, and, and now they're teaching almost a universalism gospel that anybody can, is saved. You know, it doesn't matter if you're an atheist or, or uh, a, a Muslim or whatever, somehow you're going to be saved. Okay. And, and so there's a lot of different groups that teach that way. Mormons teach that, Jehovah's Witnesses, Moonies. But God doesn't show partiality. He's not a respecter of persons, okay? In fact, um, uh, Peter addresses this a little bit. In Acts chapter 10, uh, Peter's talking about that situation when he went to visit Cornelius. Remember this? This was the first time that a Jew was sent to the Gentiles. The Holy Spirit had to lead him there, okay? And uh, that was a situation where God kept bringing down the sheets with the unclean animals and, and saying, Peter, prepare and eat. Eat it. And Peter's like, uh-uh, God, that's unclean. I'm not touching that. But God was trying to show him that you're going to be taking this to the Gentiles. You're going to be taking this gospel to the Gentiles. And, and Peter goes and visits Cornelius and his family. Cornini, Corn, easy for me to say. Cornelius and his family, they'd receive the Lord, and uh, God saves them. Well, when Peter's explaining this to the rest of the guys, he says, God is not a respecter of persons. He shows no partiality. And... Um, so, you know, that's how God is. And praise God he's like that. Because if we were God, it would be different. It would be the good-looking, the rich, the famous, the cool. You know what I'm saying? Not God. He's better than that. He's above that. And so moving on to verse 12. For as many as have sinned without the law will also perish without the law. And as many as have sinned in the law will be judged by the law. And this is actually just expanding what we talked about last time. Uh, actually, this would be probably six weeks ago. We talked about how there, you know, some people have been given the law. The Jews have been given the law. They'll be judged by the law. Those who have never heard um, the Ten Commandments, for example, those who have not heard what God requires of them will still be judged by God 
they're still going to be held accountable because God has revealed himself to them in various ways, and they're going to be judged according to the understanding and light they have been given. Okay? And that's all that's, that's saying there. You know, the Jews, they have their law, but they haven't kept it. The Gentiles, what understanding they have been given, they've still disobeyed that light or understanding that God's given them. Okay? And so moving on, verse 13. For not the hearers of the law are just in the sight of God, but the doers of the law will be justified. Okay? That almost sounds again like he's teaching a gospel based on works. Right? Uh, But we know that's not what he's doing. In fact, just... In the next chapter, he, he's, he's moving through some arguments here, talking to the Jews. And he's, he eventually makes it to a conclusion here in verse, uh, or I'm sorry, chapter 3, verse 20. He says, Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. Okay? Galatians chapter 2, verse 21. I do not set aside the grace of God. For if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died in vain. So, we know, we know that's not where he's going with this, right? Um, but again, he's, he's addressing Jews who felt like they were in a favored position before God. And he's saying, look, you guys have the law, yes, but you haven't even kept it. And how do you expect to have, uh, uh, how, how do you expect to be justified if you're not even keeping the law that you're professing, just by simply showing up at synagogue at the, the, during the Shabbat and hearing the teaching, just by hearing it alone, are you expecting to be saved? No, no. In fact, uh, just last week, no. The week before that, Russ was teaching on James, and he reads uh, James chapter 1, verse 22, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. And Russ made a distinction between a student and a disciple. A student is somebody just who is listening and hearing and learning, but not doing. A disciple takes it the next step further and actually does what he has learned. And that's what we're called to be as disciples. So getting back to what uh, Paul's saying here, they haven't kept the law. And he's, you know, and, and moving on, he says, chapter 14, for when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do the things in the law, these, although not having the law, are, are a law to themselves, who show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness between themselves and their thoughts accusing or else excusing them. And so, just like we saw last week, again, God has written his law even on the Gentiles' hearts. You know, before we were saved, we still knew things were wrong. We knew lying was wrong. We knew stealing was wrong. We knew murder was wrong. We knew rape was wrong. We know these things. When we do things that is dishonest at work or whatever in your daily life, when you do something that's off, you, you feel it, right? Suddenly you're just like, that wasn't right. I mean, even the people that hate God, are outraged by certain things. Why? Yeah, it doesn't come from evolution. It doesn't come from millions of years of random mutations, molecules in motion, right? That doesn't give you that moral outrage when something bad happens. 
it's written on our hearts. Um, and uh, so moving on to verse 16. In the day when God will judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to my gospel. Okay, so here right here we're seeing Paul is showing us another aspect. He, in this chapter he's given us a lot of clues on what the coming judgment looks like. And this is another one. The secrets of men will be judged. Well, that's, that's terrifying. I mean, you think about it. All the things that you've done in secret that you don't want anybody to know about, you know, like the whatever, it's all coming out. It's all coming out. The secrets of men will be judged. Terrifying thought. But praise God. You know, we got to know this stuff. It's going to come out. And so now we're going to get into a bigger section. Verses uh, 17 uh, down to 23. This is interesting. Indeed, you are called a Jew and rest on the law. And make yourself, uh, I'm sorry, make your boast in God and know his will and approve the things that are excellent, being instructed out of the law. And are confident that, confident that you yourself are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of babes, having the form of knowledge and truth in the law. You, therefore, who teach another, do you teach yourself? You who preach that a man should not steal, do you steal? You who say, do not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor, abhor idols, do you rob temples? Do you make your boast in the law? Do you dishonor God through breaking the law? And so uh, Paul here, he's, he's addressing his Jewish brethren. And he's saying, look, you guys have the law. You know God's will. You're God's people, right? You've been doing this for, for a couple thousand years. You know what he wants of you. You uh, have this air about you that you, you feel confident that you can teach those who are in the dark, those young in the faith. You're the light to the world, if you will. And yet, he starts calling them out here. You guys are being hypocrites. You're teaching one thing, and you're doing something totally different. Um, they're talking a big game, and they're not walking the walk. And, and uh, it's, it's unfortunate. You know, it, it, that applies to us, guys. He might have been addressing the Jews in this particular passage, but that applies to us. Um, how many here are teachers in one capacity or another? Pretty much everybody should have your hand up. In one way or another, you're a teacher. Whether you're a mom or a dad, you know, whether you're a new believer or somebody who's a seasoned saint who's been around for a long time, you're in a capacity to teach in one way, shape, or form. And if we claim to be Christians and we're being a hypocrite, what is that saying about our faith? What is that really saying about us and about our God that we serve? Um, it, it's not just that we're being a hypocrite. That's sin, okay? We're sinning. It's not just that. We're actually doing something far, far worse. And we read the next verse. For the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. That's terrifying. He's quoting uh, a passage out of Ezekiel. And I'm going to read this real quick. Ezekiel chapter 36, verses 20 to 23. 
Um, it says, when they came to, this is God speaking, when they came to the nations, wherever they went, they profaned my holy name. When they said of them, these are the people of the Lord, and yet they have gone out of this land. But I had concern for my holy name, which the house of Israel had profaned among the nations wherever they went. And therefore say to the house of Israel, thus saith the Lord, God, I do not do this for your sake, O house of Israel, but for my holy name's sake, which you have profaned among the the nations wherever you went. And I will sanctify my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, which you have profaned in their midst, and the nation shall know that I am the Lord, says the Lord God, when I am hallowed in you before their eyes. Okay, so um, <clears throat> a lot of times when the Jews of that time would sin against their God, when they would play the hypocrite, the surrounding nations would look on and, and would they see the Jews sinning and think, oh, they're just sinning against their God. They're just going against their God's teaching. No, no, they actually would start thinking, wow, their God must be really messed up because they're doing what their God says to do and they're that screwed up, bunch of liars and cheaters, right? And then what's worse is that when God would punish them, when God would bring it down and would chastise his people, which he does, you know, he'll give us a spanking once in a while and he certainly gave the Jews a lot of them. Um, When he would judge them, would they be thinking, oh, they're being punished from their God? No, no. No, they would start thinking, wow, their God's not even strong enough to protect them. That's how weak their God is. And so they were causing the, the people around them, the nations around them, to blaspheme the name of God. God's holy name was being tarnished. And that, guys, that can preach, even to us right now. Um, I had the... the um, Honors of speaking at an apologetics conference earlier this year up in Montana. And one of the speakers there, uh, he did a whole talk on your witness as an apologetic, your life as an apologetic. And he had a really good point there. Our whole life, everything we do, every action we take will speak of the level of faith we have inside. Right? Does that make sense? Whether it's a wrong move or a right move, it's speaking to the world around us where our faith is at. Okay? I, seriously, a person could camp out on this one passage for an entire sermon, easily, just looking at all the ways that we in our lives can make or break our witness. You know, you, you look around the world, you look at the different uh, churches out there, obviously, okay, here's the easiest, obvious, dumb example, Westboro Baptist Church, those guys running around with the signs with the horrible things that they wrote on them. and it, it, You guys know what I'm talking about? I don't even want to try and quote them. I, I don't even want to say the kind of stuff they're saying. It's disgusting. It's ridiculous. Okay? They might be right about a couple little things concerning sin, but the thing is, God loves a sinner. He hates the sin. You know? And they're saying these horrific, offensive things, and they're driving everybody away from the faith. Good job, guys. Hats off. Now, that's an easy example. But now, let's, let's take it down to the level here. What about, what about things that maybe we do? Like, for example, I've heard over and over and over in the world of business that Christian business owners are flaky, dishonest, uh, stingy, okay? 
I'm a Christian business owner. I hope I'm not like that. But that's what I hear around. That's the kind of stuff I hear. Um, another great example that I think a lot of us might be able to relate to, uh, the Jesus fish or any other kind of Christian paraphernalia on the back of your car, right? How many here has got some kind of paraphernalia on your car, right? Something that identifies you as a Christian. Maybe it's just a cross dangling back and forth on the mirror. Whatever. I took mine off years back. Gosh, that was probably like 10 years ago. Why? Because I'm a terrible driver. I'm a terrible driver. My wife's nodding her head. She would probably say it's an understatement. You know, when people are using sign language to tell you you are number one, that is not a good thing. (laughs) And if you don't know what I was mentioning there, referencing, that's okay. That just means you're more righteous than the ones that laughed. But, uh, yeah, or God forbid any of you guys are telling people they're number one. But seriously, everything we do, everywhere we go, our witness is speaking volumes. If people know you're a Christian, dude, you better act like it. Amen? Seriously. Um, Gandhi, he said this. I mean, give you a few examples of people that have turned their back on the faith and have problems with hypocrites. And I think to some extent, we're all kind of hypocrites. Let's be real. Let's be real, okay? We need to purge that junk out of our life. Sanctification, right? We got to get that out. We got to stop it. But uh, Gandhi, he said this, I like your Christ. I do not like your Christians. Your Christians are so unlike your Christ. Ouch. (laughs) Ouch. Friedrich Nietzsche, uh, 18th century German philosopher, atheist. Um, In fact, Hitler loved Nietzsche. Um, Says this, I would believe in your Savior, sorry, I should say that again, I would believe in their Savior if they acted more like they had been saved. Ouch. Bertrand Russell. My wife was reading his book, Why I'm Not a Christian. Atheist, obviously. Okay. She was reading that back before before we met and and when we first started talking. Um, He, both of his parents died when he was young. Okay, he was raised by his Presbyterian grandmother, who was uh, lovingly nicknamed Deadly Nightshade, which is like a poisonous uh, uh, plant, right? Used to make poison and also stuff to dilate your eyes. But anyway, uh, that was her nickname. She, uh, by people around who lived around uh, Bertrand Russell, their own testimony, she was one nasty, mean lady. She was very joyless, very legalistic, and not fun to be around. Now, that was the only faith he was exposed to. And this guy grows up, and he devotes his whole life to turning people away from the faith. I mean, I know that's an extreme example, but we as Christians have so much um, ability to really break somebody and ruin somebody for the faith because of our, our terrible actions, the way we act. That stinks, (laughs) you know? Now, conversely, flip it around. Let's talk about something positive here. We can also have a good impact on people. I have talked to people. I've seen story after story of people who walked the walk in their life, and it was amazing. And people around them hardly knew the gospel. They knew it enough to understand that, you know, this God called them a sinner and, and, and that they needed Christ. But what really sealed the deal was the walk of faith that this person they knew, loved, or trusted 
walked out in their life. They realized this has got to be real, looking at somebody's faith and how they live their life. So let's not be a stumbling block for people. We want to be somebody who actually um, inspires them to get closer to Christ. Um, You know, it's unfortunate, too. A lot of the cults have picked up on this. Um, My wife and I, we used to uh, witness the Mormons out of our house. We would invite them in. We figured, you know, uh, get them off the street. (laughs) And so we'd bring them in. We'd make them some brownies, more time at our house, less time they're out in the neighborhood. And we'd witness to them, and we had some awesome times with those guys. But one thing I learned from them is that they will go out of their way to try and bless you. And it, it was kind of convicting. Like one day, we're talking, and they look outside, and they see that I've got, you know, I don't have a huge yard, but I've got a pretty good-sized fence, and it's not stained. And they're like, hey, you want us to come over some weekend, and we'll stain your fence? I, I mean, I said, no, of course not. I don't, I, no, but does that not convict you guys a little bit? These are Mormons going around, and they're sharing, you know, a couple teenage guys with elder name tags, you know, and they're on a mission, and they're sharing their faith, and they're willing to go that far to make an impression on you. That's, that's convicting. You know, Jehovah's Witnesses, they'll try to do that to an extent, but they're not very good at it. Uh, there's the Unification Church, you know, under uh, uh, some young moon. I always have a hard time saying his name. Uh, he passed away recently. Uh, they are really good at love bombing. They'll pull somebody in, like usually a teenager, and they'll, they'll just love on them until they end up being one of the cult, and they've got a new convert. They're really good at it. But our whole life is a witness, guys. What we do, how we carry ourselves, is a witness. When you're at work... You know, how is your language? Glenn, a couple weeks back, last week, sorry, he brought up uh, Isaiah, where Isaiah was like, God, I'm a man of unclean lips. You know, how, are, how is our language at work? How are you speaking? And it, maybe you don't have foul language, maybe you're not dropping the, the words, but uh, maybe you're talking uh, dirty talk anyway. You're still speaking in a way that kind of brings shame on your faith or, or the gospel, right? How are we talking at work? How are we dealing with people at work? Do we have a good work ethic? Are we lazy? Go to work and kind of milk it, you know? Let's bring it to our level here. All these types of things. Are we dishonest with those around us at work? Are we concerned about our position to the extent we're going we're gonna to step on somebody's head or gossip about them to make them look bad? That stuff happens. And we don't want to be like that. What about online? Facebook. I, I just learned recently, this is embarrassing. I just learned that when you like stuff, it actually can sometimes show up on other people's timelines. You know? Okay, I haven't liked anything that's like dirty. Praise God. But like sometimes you like something that was posted by some other group that's not good. And if you actually click on the picture, suddenly you're on another page that's got all kinds of filth. Even that, like I'm embarrassed now. I feel like I need to go back and repent. But what are we posting online? It's so easy to trash somebody online, right? Because you're not face-to-face. What are we posting online? How are we, how is our Christian presence there? Challenge again. So, anyway, I think I've kind of beat a dead horse. That is something that 
is worth a week worth of, of morning devotions, just really thinking about the different areas of your life. God, how am I representing you? How am I failing? How am I wrecking your image? And how can I do this better? Please change me. Serious. So moving on. Verse 25. As, it's, as it is written, for circumcision is indeed profitable if you keep the law, but if you're a breaker of the law, your circumcision has become uncircumcision. Therefore, if an uncircumcised man keeps the righteous requirements of the law, will not his uncircumcision be counted as circumcision? And will not the physically uncircumcised, if he fulfills the law, judge you, who even with your written code and circumcision are a tr transgressor of the law? First question, what is circumcision? If you don't know, Glenn told me that he would be more than happy to tell you about it after service. <laughs> no, but uh, when Abraham, actually Abram, was 99 years old, God visited him and, and promised to make him a father of many nations. And during this conversation, God renamed Abram to Abraham, and then he instituted this, this uh, outward sign of a covenant between Abraham and his descendants with God. And that was circumcision, okay? <clears throat> and again, like I mentioned earlier, uh, a lot of the Jews just kind of had it, this, this, it was kind of a, not an official teaching, right? But it was one of those things that kind of mythology that kind of creeps into a culture that if you're circumcised, you're good with God. You're covered. Yeah, like I went to a, a Roman Catholic funeral uh, a couple years back, and this guy, one of my old friends, lived like the devil more than anybody I can think of. Any person I've ever known, I've never met somebody this bad. But he was baptized as a baby. And so over and over and over throughout, you know, before the funeral, everybody's like, well, he's in a better place now, saying these things. And I mean, my heart just hit the ground. I'm like, no, he's not. And then the priest gets up and says the same, same thing. You know, he was baptized as an infant. And, you know, baptism and circumcision, they're, they're similar in some senses. You know, it's that outward sign of a covenantal relationship with God. And it was the same type of thing. It, it, was, it, was, it was hard to see. But back then, there was that idea. And Paul is refuting that idea here, saying, look, if you got a Gentile who's keeping all the law, and he's not even circumcised, would that not mean more to me than one of you who's circumcised and doesn't even keep the law? Again, just kind of poking holes in the idea that uh, following the law is even going to save you. You're not going to stand a chance because you haven't kept all the law. One, and two, uh, you know, I, I, I mentioned that if a person theoretically could keep all the law, that they would actually um, potentially have a shot, which would never, ever, 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 ever happen. But that's not necessarily true because we have a sinful nature. We've inherited a sin nature from Adam. There is no one good. No, not one. We're going to get into that when we get into uh, Romans chapter 5, where Paul starts illustrating what justification looks like in the life of Adam. And he starts talking about this sin nature a little bit. So we'll get to that. Uh, but not a one person can work their way to heaven. I don't care how good you are. It doesn't matter if you've got perfect works. 
and that's not going to happen. It doesn't matter if you've avoided every bad thing, and that ain't going to happen. You've got a sin nature. And so, no one good. No, not one. So moving on to verse 28. For he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh, but he is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart, in the spirit, not in the letter, whose praise is not for men, but from God. And so I guess, uh, you know, circumcision and baptism, they kind of look the same a little bit. There's differences, and I I don't want to... They're not exactly the same, but they have a a very similar, you know, it's an outward sign of an inward change. It's kind of like if you have a can of some kind of vegetable or something, right? Um, Victoria, she loved black olives when she was little. Loved them. She called them candy. But suppose I handed her a can of this candy, and the label said black olives, and she cracked it open, and it was like canned carrots. (laughs) You know, canned carrots, gross. But yeah, you'd you'd feel a little bit misled. She would be very angry about that. See, the the label on the can means nothing. It's what's in the can, that inward reality. And if somebody is claiming to be a follower of, of, or saying, listen, I'm a, a person of God because I'm circumcised. The label on the can says I'm of God, right? But it's not an inward reality. Likewise, I think that goes for us as well. If, if the label on the outside of the can says, Christian, you know, how many people do you know who claim to be a Christian? And you look at their lives and you're like, okay, I can't know for sure, but dude, you are not a Christian. There's no way. There's no way you're a Christian because everything you do, every decision you make is saying the exact opposite. Maybe they're in a very early stage of sanctification, but chances are, you know, you can just tell. The fruit's not there. I'm not seeing it. I don't even see an inkling of it. You know, it's not enough to just call yourself a Christian. There has to be that inward change. There has to be that, that inward reality. And that comes from trusting in Christ. And uh, now just anybody here who, who doesn't understand the gospel, Christ died on our behalf. Why? What, what's, what's the point? See, we all sin. We all offend God. He is a perfect, holy, and just God. And, and if we got what we deserve, we would be punished. We should be punished. We continue to offend a holy God. But then Christ, God in the flesh, comes and says, you do deserve this punishment, and I'll take it for you. I'll take the wrath that you deserve upon myself, I'll pay your fine, I'll pay your penalty that you can spend eternity with me. To simply acknowledge that you are a sinner and you've offended God and trust in Christ alone to cover you, to cover those sins that you've committed, that's what it means to be saved. That's how you get saved. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for uh, letting us come together again and study your word. We thank you so much that, that Paul was able to write this book, that we could learn from it. God, all this talk about hypocrisy, we don't want to be like that. We don't want to misrepresent you. We don't want to soil your name 
in front of the world. So God, I pray that you would root out those sins in our lives, those ways that we are hypocrites ourselves. That we might repent and change our ways. Help us, Lord. Clean us up. Help us clean up our act. We love you so much, and we want others to be drawn to you by our actions, not pushed away. And while everybody's head is bowed, if there's anybody here today who has not made that inward change, who has not trusted in Christ, who has not accepted the payment that Christ made in your name and would like to be saved today, you know, pray with me. Jesus, I, I've sinned. I've sinned. I know that I have lied. I know that I've done these things that offend you. <clears throat> I trust in you. I trust in what you did on that cross. Thank you for dying on my behalf. Please cover all my sins. Please show me how to live a sanctified life. Please clean me up and make me a good representative of your kingdom. In Jesus' name. Everybody, yeah. Father, we pray that we would have a safe drive today and that all of our holiday fun would be a blast but we would be safe. And most of all, may we represent you during these holidays when everybody is actually thinking about you, even when they're atheists or whatnot. God, keep those doors open. Set us up with divine appointments that we could witness to people and help us represent you right. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, guys, that's it. Thanks for listening. Uh, that was Romans chapter 2, starting in verse 11 all the way to the end of the chapter. I'm <laughs> hoping to crank out another podcast next week. Uh, I've already got many Sundays recorded here. I just need to do this. Uh, also, you guys need to find me on Facebook and put pressure on me to get Jason Oaks, Pastor Jason Oaks, and author Jason Oaks back on the podcast to talk about this awesome book. So, Anyway, yeah, guys, find me on Facebook anyway and say hi. By the way, if, uh, you know, if any of you would like to have me as a guest speaker at your church, I am open to that, okay? Contact me. Uh, if, you will, if you live somewhere warm and tropical, then I will pray about it. <laughs> and if you don't, if it's cold, windy, and miserable, don't contact me. <laughs> Just kidding. Anyway. Uh, that is it for today, guys. Uh, I love you, and we'll hopefully see you next week. Sing it out loud.